My name is Josiah, and I'll be. And yeah, the Bible passage today is Ezekiel chapter eight, verses one to eighteen. Um, and you can follow along on your own Bibles or on the screen behind me. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house. And the elders of Judah were sitting before me. The hand of the sovereign Lord came on me there. I looked, and I saw a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his waist down, he was like fire. And from there up, his appearance was as bright as glowing metal. He stretched out what looked like a hand. And took me by the hair of my head. The Spirit lifted me up between heaven and earth, and in visions of God, He took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. And there, before me, was the glory of the God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. Then he said to me, "Son of man, look toward the north." So I looked, and in the entrance north of the gate of the altar, I saw this idol of jealousy. And he said to me, "Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here." Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary, but you will see things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance to the court. I looked and I saw a hole in the wall. He said to me, "Son of man, now dig into the wall." So I dug into the wall and saw a doorway there, and he said to me, "Go in and see the wicked and detestable things they are doing here." So I went in and looked, and I saw portrayed all over the walls all kinds of crawling things and unclean animals, and all the idols of Israel. In front of them stood seventy elders of Israel, and Jaazaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. He said to me, "Son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness?" Each at the shrine of his own idol, they say, "The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land." Again, he said, "You will see them doing things that are even more detestable." Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and I saw women standing there, mourning the god Tammuz. He said to me, "Do you see this, son of man? You will see things that are even more detestable than this." 
He then brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord, and there at the entrance to the temple, between the portico and the altar, were about 25 men, with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the, toward the east, they were bowing down to the sun in the east. He said to me, Have you seen this son of man? Is it a trivial matter for the people of Judah to do the detestable things they are doing here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually arouse my anger? Look at them, putting the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will deal with them in anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. Good morning, everyone. My name's Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Paraka. Great to be with you all. Um, look, we're in for a heavy morning this morning. There's no getting around that. I want to be upfront about this and not beat around the bush. Today is going to be serious and sombre. Uh, we're going through the book of Ezekiel here at church, and today we're covering 20 chapters, chapter 4 to 24. That's a lot, so obviously we're not going to go into detail about everything. Uh, but this is a, 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 a chunk of the Bible that is about sin and judgment about the evil that people do and the wrath that God has. It's not a cozy morning we're going to have. <laughs> we're getting into some heavy stuff. Great way to start a Bible talk, isn't it? Maybe you're wishing you'd stayed in bed this morning. It's cold and you wouldn't have to listen to this uh, serious stuff. But, but I do want to say it's right for us to go through this today. It's right for us to cover these chapters because, well, what? This is God's word. This is what God wants us to know. Won't we hear him out? Won't we hear this, even if it's uncomfortable? Um, Earlier this year, some of you will remember, I had to go back to New South Wales. My nan had died, so I was going back there for her funeral. And so I got on a plane, took off, and we're flying over the Adelaide Hills. And I got a bird's eye view of the Murray River floods. You remember this, right? So you know, there's all this water rainfall that fell in the eastern states. The flood, the, the water kind of moved into the Murray River. And eventually that, that huge amount of water just shifted further down in towards South Australia. And if you lived in somewhere like, say, Menham or, or, or Renmark, if you lived anywhere along the river, it was not a pleasant thing to hear. This place is going to flood. That's uncomfortable news. But actually, it's good that you hear that in advance, isn't it? It's right that you get a chance to pay attention to the warning and to heed what it says, to get ready. It's kind of a similar situation we're in today. This is uncomfortable stuff to hear, all about sin and judgment. But it's right that we hear it and, and heed the warning ourselves. Because this problem, uh, this thing that the Bible calls sin, it's not just an out there problem. You know, we're looking at Ezekiel today. This is, this, sin is not just something that happened in, in Ezekiel's time with the people back then. Sin is an in here problem. It, it's an us too problem. So we need to hear the word of God. And, and we need to heed this warning from the history of, of the Jewish people and from the prophecy of Ezekiel. 
So today is heavy, but it's actually right for us to go through this. So, so let's begin. Uh, Ezekiel lived about 2,600 years ago. He was a Jewish man, but he's not living in the land of Judah. He'd been taken into exile. The Babylonians had come and taken uh, Ezekiel along with about 10,000 other uh, bright young sparks from Judah. And now they were exiled into the land of Babylon, which is uh, modern day Iraq, if you're wondering. And when, is, when Ezekiel is there in Babylon, God commissions him to be a prophet. We read about this last week in Ezekiel chapter 1 to 3. Ezekiel is a prophet sent to the Jewish people. And a lot of his message is about sin and judgment on the Jewish people. And, and, and that's what we're turning to today, chapters 4 to 24 of Ezekiel. And I'm not gonna, as I said, I'm not going to go through in, in detail on all these chapters. There just wouldn't be enough time this morning. But I do want to pick up on some bigger things that we see in these chapters. Here's the first one. For the Jews of the time, sin had spread. It was everywhere. It was everywhere through society. Not just one social group, but everyone was involved, caught up in sin. All right, so I'm going to read a chunk now from Ezekiel chapter 22. And I want you to notice all the different kinds of people, the different groups of people whose sin is called out. So look out for that as we read through. This is Ezekiel chapter 22. I'm going to start at verse 23. It says this. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. And now that's just God's way. In Ezekiel, that's how God talks to Ezekiel, calls him son of man. Son of man, say to the land, you're a land that has not been cleansed or rained on in the day of wrath. There is a conspiracy of her princes within her, like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, take treasures and precious things, and make many widows within her. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and the clean. And they shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbath, so that I am profaned among them. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. It, it's pretty comprehensive, right? Everyone here is guilty. Princes, priests, officials, prophets, even the ordinary, everyday person, they're all called out because of their sin. And, and, and in chapter 22, you can pick up and see they're committing all different kinds of sin as well. So there's religious sin. In chapter 22, verse 8, this is what God says. He says, you've despised my holy things and desecrated my Sabbaths. Religious sin. Then there's also Civic sin, stuff that affects the social, cultural uh, landscape. So in chapter 22, verse 12, in you are people who accept bribes to shed blood. You take interest and make, uh, and make a profit from the poor. You extort the unjust, sorry, you extort unjust gain from your neighbors. There's civic sin. And then there's also a private or personal sin. So uh, 22, verse 11, in you, one man commits a detestable offense with his neighbor's wife. 
Another shamefully defiles his daughter-in-law. Another violates his sister, his own father's daughter. You get the point, right? It's pretty obvious. In Ezekiel's day, with the Jews back then, sin had spread everywhere. It's everywhere in all levels of society, in all aspects of life. It was obvious. Sin was there. Can I tell you one thing I hate as a parent? Sand. Oh. As a kid, look, we had a sand pit in our backyard, um, and I loved it as a kid. But as a parent, I have come to loathe sand. It just gets everywhere. Kids come home, they take off their shoes, and suddenly there's a trail of sand through the house everywhere, right? And you take them to the bath, and you go, oh, wash them off, and then they'll be clean. And you wash them off, get out of the bath, into bed. And as you send them to bed, you ask, there's, there's, there's sand all through their hair still. How did it get there? And now it's through their beds. Sand is impossible to get rid of. I've come to hate sand because it just gets everywhere. And there is no way of cleaning the mess up, of getting rid of it. That's like sin here in Ezekiel. Sin has spread. And sin has continued to spread. It gets everywhere. It gets through everything. And you can't get rid of it. But there's something deeper about sin. You know, in, in the examples I gave you before, the, sin, sin was a lot of doing of, of, of wrong things, or, uh, doing religious things wrong or civic or personal things wrong. But actually, there's something deeper about sin behind all those wrong things. Now, see in Ezekiel, God calls out sin as, as spiritual Adultery. Sin is spiritual adultery. It's cheating. That's a vivid image, isn't it? Maybe one that recalls personal hurt for you. But let me explain here. What's going on? Well, Ezekiel, he uses lots of images to describe what God is like and to describe God's relationship to the Jewish people. So in chapter 20, uh, God is called the rescuer of, of, of the Jews. And Ezekiel reminds the Jews about how God freed them from being slaves in Egypt. He's their rescuer. In chapter 5, God is the one who makes, makes them into a great nation at the center of the world, a famous nation. In chapter 15, God is the one who keeps providing for his people. But in chapter 16, God is called a husband to this nation. He's loved them and cared for them. He's done good things for them. And he's committed to them for the long haul, right? God is like their husband. Um, If you've been following your reading guides this week and going through the the whole book of Ezekiel, let me say, well done. This week was the the hardest week. You've read the most uh, that you'll have to read in any week. Well done. But you would have come across two very confronting chapters in Ezekiel, chapter 16 and chapter 23. Both of these chapters describe... Judah as an adulterous wife because that's God's great charge against his people. He's their husband, but they've cheated on him. He's their God, but instead of being given over to him to be worshipping him, they've given themselves over to whatever other God the nations around them have, to the idols that they see. It's, it's, it's spiritual adultery. And this is actually the thing that's behind. This is the deeper thing, the, the deeper problem, the thing that's behind all the other things. They turn away from God, and so they turn away from God's word and what God says. 
And that's really what we saw in the, 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 the passage that Josiah read out for us. There, God gives Ezekiel a vision. And Ezekiel's taken away from Babylon, taken back in this vision, taken back to the land of Judah. And he gets a tour of the temple. The temple is the place where the Jews are to worship God. This is a sacred place, a holy place. But what does Ezekiel see when he gets there? Are people using it, the temple to worship God? No, they are not. Instead, they've set up idols. They're worshipping images of animals. They're mourning over a God called Tammuz. They're bowing down to the sunken spiritual adultery. If you've ever experienced that, that kind of thing, unfaithfulness, or even if you haven't experienced it, but, you, but you've watched someone else go through it, you get what a serious thing it is that God is saying here. What a horrible thing spiritual adultery is. It's an evocative image for a reason, friends. This is not good. At the heart of sin is this idea of being God's, belonging to him, and yet giving ourselves over to anything else but him. Spiritual adultery. That's what's happening in Ezekiel's time. And so God says, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming, and it's unavoidable. Time and time again, God says, don't, don't think this isn't going to happen. It really is. Don't think I'm going to delay this forever. It's coming. And so here are just some examples. From chapter 7, verse 2 to 3, God says, The end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. The end is now upon you. Judgment is unavoidable. In chapter 10, uh, God's glory leaves the temple. See, it, God had always dwelled with his people in a special way in the temple. It was a sign to, to the people that he's there with them. But in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, God's glory leaves the temple. He's not with them anymore. In fact, God is against them. Judgment is unavoidable. In chapter 12, verse 28, God says, This is what the sovereign Lord says. None of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever I say will be fulfilled, declares the sovereign Lord. He is not going to put it off. In chapter 14, God reminds the people of Noah, Daniel, and Job. Three guys known for, from the Old Testament, they're known for their righteousness. But God says not even they could save the Jews from God's judgment. And then in chapter 24, we get the terrifying but inevitable news. Chapter 24, verse 1. In the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, record this date, this very date, because the king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. Judgment has begun. God's, it's like God's sword has been drawn. He's sent the king of Babylon to go back to Judah. Last time the king of Babylon was at Judah, he took 10,000 people away into exile. This time he's going to take the whole city. Uh, Ezekiel here records the first day when the king of Babylon comes to Jerusalem. And the Babylonian army will surround the whole city and a siege there will last 18 months. 
18 months of which the food supplies dwindle, the people will grow weary, until eventually Babylon uh, makes its way into the city uh, and destroys it. The temple is burned, and the remaining Jews, pretty much to a man, are taken off into exile in Babylon. God's judgment is unavoidable. I want to take you back to the start of the day. I mentioned the um, Murray River floods. Um, my, my wife's sister uh, lives up in the Riverland. And uh, as the floods got closer towards the end of last year, she kept sending us photos of um, you know, how high the river was. These aren't the photos here. Um, these aren't the photos she sent. But, but it's kind of like this, showing how high the river is getting. And you're starting to compare it against the floods from the previous years. So you think about... This flood at the beginning of the year, though, it, it wasn't a surprise. Everybody knew it was coming. It was just unavoidable. Too much rain had fallen further upstream. It was going to flow down. There was going to be a flood. And the only question was, how big would it be? I guess if you lived up there, of course, you're wondering, will the levees hold? But the flood itself was unavoidable. That's what God is saying here in Ezekiel. Judgment on sin is unavoidable. And so God sends Ezekiel to tell his people, it's coming. It's coming. Look, these are really heavy chapters, aren't they? They really are. But we need to hear them. These are chapters that force us to reflect and consider our own lives to consider our own sin, to consider what God says to us today. So in the last couple of months, I just want to reflect on a few things for us. Um, and if there's one thing you really, as you read these chapters, you really can't help but miss, you really can't help but notice is this thing. Sin is serious, right? It's not trivial, like, like a small parking fine compared to a bigger offense. That, that's, not, that's not sin. Sin is not a guilty pleasure that you probably should just go for once in a while, like a chocolate or an ice cream. Sin isn't a small matter. It's not like a billionaire losing a few bits of loose change. Sin is serious. Remember, what does God call it? Spiritual adultery. Cheating on your creator. And like, look at, look at the judgment it brings. A whole nation uprooted and, and destroyed. It's, it's not a small, small matter, is it? Actually, do you want to see how serious sin is? Go no further. Look no further than Jesus on the cross. If sin didn't matter, if, if it was just like a trivial, minor little thing no one really cares about, then, then would God really have sent Jesus? Would Jesus really have needed to go to the cross? Would it be really have been necessary for Jesus to step in and face God's unavoidable judgment? Of course not. You know, God is not cruel, right? He's not that teenage boy who wants to pull the wings off a fly just to see what it's like. He's not that, that movie villain who's, who's looking to try and make life hard for everyone. But at the cross, we see Jesus dying under God's unavoidable judgment. That shows us how serious sin is. It's not something you can sweep under the carpet. 
It's not something you can ignore. And if sin is going to be forgiven, it does take Jesus going to the cross to step in and take God's unavoidable judgment for us. That is how serious, friends, God sees sin. Do we see sin in the same light as God? Yes, God is patient and loving and kind. But he's not willing to let sin go on forever. You see, no, sin is serious. So the obvious thing we need to do is this then. Heed the warning. Don't take sin lightly. But fight against it. Fight against sin being in your life. This is what Rowdy Randy called us to earlier, right? Battle against sin. Now, battling against sin in life can be hard. Let's, let's make no mistake about it. Sometimes it feels like you're getting nowhere. Sometimes temptation can just seem too strong and too powerful to resist. Sometimes it can feel like it's going to be just inevitable that you fall. And so why not just give in now? Why bother resisting? Sometimes it just feels easier not to fight against sin. And, well, if we're honest, everyone's doing it anyway, right? Fighting against sin can be hard, but I want to say to you, it's the right fight, isn't it? It's the right battle to go into. Because you do, I think, you you do want to please God with your life, right? You do. You don't want to give Satan a foothold in your life. And and you know that sin damages, even if it promises like a, a, a momentary bit of pleasure, sin actually damages you and the people around you. And you don't want to do that to yourself or to them. And so sin is the right battle to fight, even though it's hard. Fight against sin, friends. In fact, I want to say here, whatever it takes, go to any length so that you fight against sin in your life. Think about some of the things that Jesus said. I want to take you to some verses. This is from Mark chapter 9. Jesus, he's serious about us fighting sin. Take a look at these words Jesus said. He says, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Jesus takes sin seriously, doesn't he? Now, I don't think Jesus literally means we should be cutting off our hands and our feet here. But but, but what he's calling for, it's drastic action, right? Get rid of whatever will cause you to stumble. Get rid of whatever will cause you to sin. Let me give you a couple of examples. If if I keep looking at porn on my phone, maybe what I need to do is actually just get rid of my phone or, or just not have a smartphone anymore. Go back to having, an, I don't know, what do you call it? A dumb phone? A brick phone? Um, but whatever it takes, that's going to look stupid to a lot of people, but whatever it takes, get rid of sin. If I find myself being greedy with money, what do I do? Maybe I just need to get rid of money. Maybe I need to give a lot of my money away. 
Maybe I even need to find a job where I don't earn so much money that I'm tempted to be greedy with it. Whatever it takes. This is a call to drastic action and that I go to any length, even if it looks kind of weird to others, even if I've got to make strange decisions. Whatever causes sin, I go to any length to get rid of it. Jesus says that, that's what it takes to fight against sin. Are we willing to do that, friends? To go to any length? Here's the thing you need to know, though. As you fight against sin, as you battle, as it's hard, know this. God gives you everything you need for the battle. He's not throwing you into a war with like a little toy sword and a flimsy bit of cardboard for a shield. No, 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 no. God's not like that. He gives you everything. He gives you the very best things that you're going to need out there. Think about what God has given you. He's given you his word to guide you so, so, so you know what to do. He's given you his spirit to empower you, to live in you, to enable you to fight with strength against sin. Friends, God has given his people to you, a church around you, to encourage you, to urge you on as you battle against sin and to call you back if you wander off. Friends, God has given you so much, hasn't he, to battle against sin with. But here's the best thing of all. Remember this, friends. God has given you his son to bring you forgiveness. So that when you stumble, that's not the end. Because again, God's unavoidable judgment doesn't have to fall on you. It's fallen on Jesus. So if you put your trust in Jesus, you don't have to face God's unavoidable judgment. He has done it for you. Friends, our ultimate hope as Christian believers is this. Not that we will somehow eventually cut sin out of our life completely and be sinless in this life here and now. Our ultimate hope is in the forgiveness that Jesus assures us of, that we can have confidence in. Our hope is, is ultimately not in, in our own goodness, somehow becoming righteous in ourselves, but our hope is that we, on the last day, when we stand before God, will be dressed in Jesus' righteousness, having Jesus' goodness covering us, and so able to stand before God with confidence, which gives us every reason then, friends, so fight and battle against sin because God has equipped you with the right stuff. And when you stumble, friends, remember Jesus. Remember, there is confidence, assurance of forgiveness there. This is exactly what we need, isn't it? As we end this time, I normally kind of finish by praying for us, but I don't think that's appropriate today. I think today it's appropriate that we actually pray together and confess our sins together. Just to recognize, God, we have made a mess of things. We need to turn to him and plead for help. And forgiveness. So I'm going to put a prayer on the screen in a moment. Um, if you'd like to confess your sins together, I want to urge us all to, to, to say this prayer aloud uh, and pray it together. Here's a start. Let, let, let's, let, let's pray and confess our sins together, friends. Almighty God, our Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have done things we shouldn't have done. And we have done things we should have done. 
we have followed our oops, sorry. We have followed our own ways. Is that going? Yep. We have followed our own ways and the desires of our own hearts. We have broken your holy laws. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Please forgive us through Jesus. Please restore us according to your promises. And please enable us to live godly and obedient lives to your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.